Welcome to Funding the Dream, the number one podcast for the number one crowdfunding platform, Kickstarter. Now here's your host, Richard Bliss. This afternoon in my uh, interview, I uh, have a nice segue from one of the last interviews I did when we were talking about the, the, the spilling over of one talent into another as one market is influenced by another and how Kickstarter is making this possible in so many ways. I've reached out to a guest in an unusual way. So my guest is Greg Carslog. Greg, thanks for joining me on the show. It's good to be here. Greg, you and I have come into contact because you participated in Roger Hicks' Back It for a Buck contest a while ago. And one of the prizes. Cool idea. That's right. And you participated in that. One of the prizes was an interview on the show to be able to talk about some of the things that you're doing. And uh, so I'm thrilled that we've been able to connect this way. Yeah, it's really cool. You uh, participated in Roger Hicks. Tell me a little bit about that participation. Well, basically, the idea behind the competition was that everyone who would come along and back, rather than backing one Kickstarter project for a game, back 20 projects for a buck each and see how they all went, with the idea that you'd get some experience of them and see what the creator's like, and maybe some of those pledges would be upgraded if the, the competition was particularly good or one of the, the Kickstarter creators was doing a spectacular job in some way. But the idea was to, to make sure people saw projects they wouldn't usually see, because the act of going, I'm going to back something for a dollar today, means you, you step outside your comfort zone. You stop looking at the two or three games that are most interesting to you and look at everything and, and give them all a chance. So I thought it was a wonderful idea for that. And uh, I, don't, I can't remember if prizes were advertised at the start or not, but at some point it was mentioned that uh, anyone who managed to back the projects within the month would uh, go into a prize draw to win like, a collection of games and various other things. So, Well, we must have been the consolation prize. Uh, no. you were the first prize. I had my pick of any of that. I could have had a free game. Oh, well, I'm thrilled to hear that. That's awesome. My listeners are going to notice that you're probably not from New York. No. <laughs> Where are you located in the world? I'm in sunny Birmingham in the UK. Oh, okay. Sunny Birmingham. What's the weather like this morning? Drizzly. Okay, perfect. All right. Everybody's expectations have, are, are still intact of their expectations this time of the year in Birmingham. Now, one of the things that you did as we've talked, there's something really fascinating here because you have a, a PhD in psychology. You've studied extensively in artificial intelligence. And what you do right now came about because you saw something very unusual in, uh, in the advertisements. What was that? Yeah, was a, a friend of mine drew the, my attention to it, but um, a company nearby in Worcester was advertising for a full-time game designer, a board game designer. You don't see that every day. You really don't. It was phenomenal. It's the sort of thing that a whole bunch of my friends got in contact with me from different angles going, we've seen this thing, this is amazing, you'd be perfect for it. So um, I immediately sort of ran off to Worcester and started seeing what I could do about getting that job and working on it because getting the opportunity to work on board games on full-time. Well, I thought it would be amazing, and it turns out it's been amazing. Oh, yes, you're living the dream. You're living the dream. So many people out there are, would love to kill for that, and they're like, wait a minute, how do I get that kind of job? So let's talk about, first of all, why would all of your friends reach out to you to tell you that you needed this job? What is it about you and your life that right now that causes them to be so aware that this would be a perfect fit for you? Well, I guess I've been doing a lot of uh, game design type things throughout my life. I've just not been doing it professionally. So when we got our hands on games, I'd always be modifying them and changing rules. I'd done a lot of role-playing games and, and creating whole worlds and structures. There was one game that I ended up writing the game, and then I wrote the system that I've written this game. I'd written it originally as a Pathfinder game. It doesn't properly support it. I'll just scrap the system and write a new system to run this game in. It was fantastic. Like, one of the things I really like about running a role-play game is that you get immediate visual feedback. When you do something that's good or interesting, you can see your players sort of smiling and laughing at each other. And years later, people tell each other anecdotes from that game. And you sort of get to sit there and think, I wrote that. That was great. And then creating board games is sort of a natural extension of that. 
so I'd, I'd done a lot of they'd seen a lot of design work that I'd done of various sorts, and they knew that I'd be looking for something once I finished the PhD, and that I wasn't particularly keen keen to stay in academia. So, um, like. I guess that's between those two things. That's why they drew my attention to it. Well, that's awesome. And then you have had a successful Kickstarter project last year, about this time last year. Uh, you ran a Kickstarter project that did very well. I have to say it was one of the early games projects on the Kickstarter, the UK site, right? Yeah, the Kickstarter only just opened up to UK projects. Uh, the company that I'm working for, 3G Total, had run a few Kickstars before using a partner company in America, but when they opened it up to us over here, then we thought, brilliant, we can get on this and, and create some more things. So, Tell us a little bit about that project. Well, the project was for a game called 404 Law Not Found, and the premise was that you have robots, and they're sort of Asimov-compatible robots who have the free laws, like do not harm a human, do whatever a human says, don't get yourself damaged. And at the start of the game, there's some sort of solar flare. Those laws are randomized, and instead you have fire a scientist out of the torpedo tube, hide all of the bananas from the monkey, expose all of the rooms to the vacuum of space. And the first robot to abide their new laws or new directives is the victorious robot. So, like, we had this idea for a game. We'd been playtesting it and trying it out for a while. It was going pretty well. And uh, it got to the point where we were ready to launch it, so we put it up on Kickstarter. And it did very well. You did uh, 22,000 pounds of funding with 779 backers, which is, uh, that's always the impressive number that uh, that many people lined up. Because this is 3D Total Games. Is this their first game? First board um, this game? Is, this is, the, yes, yeah, the first board game. It's the second game. They released a game called Prime Wars a little bit before they hired a game designer that was uh, a sort of uh, quite straightforward card game. But the point of that is that it was made on sort of very large cards that could really show off the artist's work. And it was very much leveraging their strengths as a company because they're an art company. So it was, um, it was as much an art project as it was a game project. And this was the first thing they launched that sort of... It's the first game I think that a gamer would play, if that makes sense. Sure. No, as uh, most of the audience or gamers would completely understand that. There's games, and then there's games that we play. And so this is interesting. Let's talk about... This is the company that made an app put an advertisement out there for a, a board game designer because they had not been in the board game space before that. So we're talking about 3D Total, and you've referred to their artists and that they have... So this is an established company. It wasn't like there was some person who just was like, you know what, I'm going to make board games. Let me find a, a designer. This is an established company that's been around for a while doing some great high-end artwork, isn't it? Yeah, the company's been around for about 10 years. And basically the guy who runs it, Tom is quite keen on sort of um, always expanding out and trying new things. So it's, it's quite rare for me to be there and for them not to be some new project or something new that's being tried. So about a year ago, they went, we'd like to try and make board games. What would we need for that? We already have artists. We already have the ability to print things. We already have a sort of established mailing routes to get things from A to B because they're an international publisher. They've been sending out stuff to all over the world. All we're missing is the designer, and we can start doing work on games. It turns out that wasn't quite all we're missing. But we can talk about that later. <laughs> they thought uh, that's all they were missing. Yeah, there's like other projects that um, have come out just in the last year. We spent some time looking at trying to build um, some robots for a robot-type project. At the moment, they're looking at the new 3D pens that have been on Kickstarter. They're looking at how to build art books for that that teach people how to use them or how to use them particularly well because that's sort of a, a new field of art that's just appeared. So there's sort of all sorts of things. It's, it's, uh, it's the sort of company that's always... Like every year, there'll be one or two new projects or one or two new ideas, and some of them work and some of them don't work, and I think games is one of them that's really worked, so that's well, really pleasing. Well, it's perfect timing because board games obviously are doing very well on Kickstarter. It's a very established market. You're not having to introduce a new concept to a new audience, uh, new products, so it's very fitting there. When you talk about the artists, we can get a sense 3D total, what, but when you say artists, a lot of people would think, okay, a draw, an artist who draws pencils, paints, but we're talking about a, a different artist here, aren't we? 
the people who are working at 3D Total, there are quite a lot of sort of graphic designers and art directors and people who pull the project together and make sure that we can combine the artists' work into books. And then peripherally, not employed by the company, there are some hundreds of artists that we have contact with who we go, would you like to do a book about your work or we're doing a book about this particular technique that you use a lot? Would you like to have a, a few pages in it? So the, the company itself doesn't employ that many artists, but we have people whose job it is to be in contact with loads of artists and to be always sort of be able to find the right artist for the right job. And as a 3D art company, it specializes in well, 3D art, people who are building three-dimensional models, which on the printed page, like they look good and it looks like something that's three-dimensional, but it sort of comes into its own when we start talking about board games. And especially when we talk about miniatures, we can say to these artists, we would like a 3D miniature of this. Can you make it? They can do the art, send it, email it to us. We can send it off to a 3D printer and have the mini in our hands, go, we like this or not, and send that to a manufacturer. So it's sort of like... It's such a luxury having all of these specialists and being able to say, I'd like the cards of this game to be in a sort of medieval woodcut style. Do we have an artist who can do that? Yeah, we've got ten. Like, it's, uh, it's, it's really nice sort of being in this environment. And it's really nice to be in there because everyone else in the office most of the time is working on art projects rather than game projects. So when I cast around to see what other people are doing, there's always something sort of very visually exciting to see, which is sort of makes it a very pleasant environment to be in. Sure, and that's one of the... And interestingly, when I talk to so many of my guests, the number one challenge that so many new board game designers are faced with is the high cost or the complexity of contracting a, an artist that can bring their vision to the board game, right? Whether it's the artwork or the figs or the minis, whatever it might be. And here you have just the opposite. You have all of this art, all of this uh, visually appealing and stimulating content, and now they're looking to you saying, okay, what are you going to do with it? (laughs) Yeah, well, the complexity is certainly... Well, the complexity is handled by people who are really good at handling that, and it's their job to speak to lots of artists and know who's good at what and be able to pull in people who are are wonderful at their jobs. But the cost... Really good art still isn't cheap. Sure. So I, I guess it helps that being part of an established company that has other product lines and has art books out meant that we had upfront money that we could spend on the game and sort of go, we've got, so, you know, we've got a few thousand pounds to throw around to get artists to create the, the parts of this game before we launch. So we have really nice things to show off on Kickstarter. But the art budget is still sort of a significant part of the total cost. And that's something that makes Kickstarter a little more complicated because when you're pricing out your game and going, what are we going to charge for each game? When you can go, it's going to cost us this much for each game to make the cards and this much for each game to make the minis, then that's quite easy. But when you go, we spent £5,000 in art total, you've got to sort of take a guess as to how many backers you're going to get. And it's quite a worrying thing going into a Kickstarter and going, if we've got our estimates wrong, it's going to be totally out. Right, and that your success very well might be a failure. Well, we try to set the funding, like the, you try and use the funding goal to make sure that doesn't happen. But if all of your backers decide they like the higher tier things, like you know how you could hit a funding goal of yep. 20 backers at your highest tier or you know, 1,000 backers at your lowest tier and you don't know what you're going to get. And there's no way to... like Your funding goal can't be that specialised. It would be great if Kickstarter had a way to associate with each funding goal a number of games. And rather than saying the funding goal is X thousand pounds, saying the funding goal is at least 500 games. But you can't do that, so you have to do the best you can with the tools you're given. That's right. And so it is a, a bit of a unique take on that. Most people don't think about their challenges from that perspective. Um, so as you've gone into this, there's a lot of people listening thinking, wow, what a dream job, an opportunity to somebody to say just a blank slate. What kind of advice or what kind of insights are you bringing as a, a game designer that allows you to, to be successful at this uh, endeavor? Well, I mean, the, the availability of the job was just dumb luck. I'm not going to pretend there's anything Oh, sure. We all understand that one. Totally understand uh, that one. But in terms of making it work, some of the things that have been most valuable was always designing more games than I needed. When my boss said we're designing a game to release it, I went and designed nine, playtested all of them, and like 
refined most of them, uh, playtested them again, refined most of them again, and got to the point that I had three or four products that I'd have been happy to launch, then went, right, what's the best of these ones? Rather than getting blinkers on and going, this is the project, and doing one project from day one, I think that could have been the danger to lead down a dead end. Also, making an effort to to get really good feedback from playtesters is so important. There are a lot of people who sort of, especially if it's people who want you to succeed, who will say, this game's lovely, we think it's wonderful, you really need some brutal playtesters who will tear your stuff to pieces. So, so, what, so what have you done to achieve that? How do you find those brutal playtesters that are willing to tell you the truth? Um, well, part of it is remembering when you're running more playtests to invite back the people who made you feel bad about yourself. <laughs> uh, part of it is telling your playtesters, like make, trying to encourage them to say bad things about your game. I always say... Um, what was good about the game, and they say what was bad about the game, because what was good about the game, I'm working on this, and we're going to the office tomorrow, and working on improving this game, if you tell me everything's fine, I've got nothing to do, so I need you to tell me something that's wrong with it, or I, I won't have anything to do, and sort of like going out of your way to solicit negative feedback, and it worked pretty well, I had one playtest to say to me about one concept, it'd been refined a few times, but it was, it was struggling as an idea, and something wasn't quite gelling, and they turned to me and said, this is never going to be a game, I think it's got fundamental problems, and I think they're so fundamental that you couldn't possibly fix this or make this game any good without deleting the entire thing. This is awful. Uh, and that was my sister, who's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so th- there's a way of, get family, that's the people who will tell you the brutal honesty, right? Who better to knows? Extent, it's get everyone, it's test for your friends and your family, and then go to, like, I, went, I started going to five or six board game events that I didn't even know were running until I started looking for board games events basically because I wanted to meet strangers and go you've never met me you owe me nothing you don't care about me would you like to play this game because people who've got no particular investment in it like even if people are trying to be harsh with you if they're your friends they'll always see your work in a good light but if you take it to people who are genuinely going we've come to a games evening we could play any one of these 20 games we've played this prototype and if they have a bad time they won't feel bad about going I get to come to a games event once a month and you've ruined my evening exactly I'm honest I mean there's a lot of truth to that 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 I know that in my game playing that oftentimes people are like hey you know we'll have a game evening 20 people come over to my home and we'll play board games and and I really hesitate to have people bring prototypes because look I don't get to do this very often and the last thing I want to do is get stuck in a bad movie Right, yeah. that I can't get up and walk out of because it's my own home and you're my guest and I'm going to have to be polite to you as I play something that I really don't like. And so if you want feedback, I'll probably give it to you. Then don't bring that back because – exactly. So that's a very valid point. I think it's also sort of helpful to say to people you can walk away from this at any time. If we're playing the game and we're half an hour in you're not having fun, you think it's going to be another two and a half hours, then it's okay for you to say, actually, I'm hating this. This is a rubbish experience. And as long as you tell me why, we can stop and pack up and do something else because I don't, you know, I don't enjoy – making people sit through a bad game. I always bring a game because I think it's good. And if it's not, that's, that's generally an unpleasant surprise. But it's like, you know, it's, it's something that I need to learn about the game and something that I need to do something about. So, Working for 3D Total and now 3D Total Games, when you bring these prototypes, what stage of production are they in? Are we looking at rough cut cards? Is there artwork that they get to look at? How involved is that prototype? It basically, it depends how far along the project you find me. The first step of the project, I build the prototype out of bits of paper and, like, I was going to say crayon, it's not quite that bad, but it'll be paper and biro and, and doing things freehand, or if it's something like a deck of cards I don't on a computer because I want to be able to access them and change them easily, and then I'll put that down on the table and I'll play it with myself, and I'll play it with myself 10 or 20 times playing all four tables. It's the most tedious, boring thing imaginable playing games against yourself. You never surprise yourself. But you'll find all the most fundamental flaws and the most obviously broken strategies by doing that. I also and discovered then, when I play games by myself, I win a lot. So I do that a lot, actually. So there you I go. always find I lose more than I win. Well, see, in four chairs, I only win once, but I lose three times. Oh, good point. I never thought about that. But I'm, 
that's a good point. But winning one, that, that was you. The other ones, they were just That's there. right. Those, those people didn't know what they were doing. All right. So, so that's, that's one of the first things. You, you have that yeah, little prototype. Um, then I sort of tend to – I use things like freeicons.net and the various sort of free galleries. They're, they're sort of um, attributional icons. And I put the, the attributions on a sheet and I bring that with me. And um, I, I play test on something that's not had any formal artwork done on it yet. And I'll bring that to play with people who know me and are maybe a bit more tolerant of me bringing things that aren't quite polished enough. And then when I played that with a bunch of people and put a few hundred hours into that testing, I'll then go and say, okay, go speak to the graphic designers and the artists and say, can we get some art on this? And then I'll start taking it out to, to board games events and so, sort of clubs. So speaking of board game events and what's coming up, we only have a couple of minutes left. You have a project that's coming out on Kickstarter, one of these board games. So tell us a little bit about that. Oh, yeah, I've got a game coming out called Wizards Academy. The notion is you're all, it's a cooperative game, you play together, you win together, lose together, and you're all wizards who, for whatever reason, haven't learned spells. You each get a different character, so one of them's turned himself into a bear and can't handle the small books, one of them's only there to steal magic items, one of them doesn't want to do any work until a few minutes before the exam, and then you have some problem, uh, the building is on fire, there are imps invading, the inspectors come to make sure everything's safe, whatever it is, and you need to run around using your magic to solve these problems. And the thing that, that is unusual about it is that because you don't know any spells, the spells that are in the game and how they're cast are semi-randomised at the start of each game. It's guaranteed that you'll get the more powerful spells later and the weaker spells earlier, and it's guaranteed that there will be some way to win the game, but after that there are no guarantees. It might be this game you cannot put out a fire, or this game you have no way of summoning a troll, and you need to work your way around that. And everything interacts with each other. So you'll cast a spell, and I've got no idea what it does. Oh, it sets fire to the room that I'm in. I better run off. I've cast a spell, no idea what it does. We summoned a demon. I've cast a spell, no idea what it does. It floods the room. Oh, let's go and flood the room that we set fire to earlier. That'll sort of solve that problem. Sort of like a cross between sort of the apocalypse and the was an old lady who swallowed a fly. Excellent. And they can find more information about this. I'm looking at it right now, 3dtotalgames.com. That's your website, right? That's right, yeah. Now the That's artwork, game design blog there, which has got sort of uh, weekly updates about various aspects of game design and things going on. And I'm seeing spectacular artwork on your page right now. And is that your artwork, or is that coming from 3D Total? That's coming from. It'll either be um, Ludwin or Sean, um, who are the two artists working on this. Okay. But uh, yeah, that's that's their work. And oh, this uh, sorry, I've just pulled it up myself. It's a little bit out of date. We've got the color version of the uh, the grid now. I should update this page because uh, some of the final <laughs> some of the final pieces of work of this stuff is, is beautiful, and it sort of feel like I've not done it justice. Well, it looks awesome. It's the first thing I do when we stop talking. Yeah. Sure. What yeah, that's really good. I'm really pleased. Really impressed with how well the artists have done on this project. Like looking at the, the I've sort of got almost full art for it now. I've got all the boards and the box and all of the characters and all of the models. It's going to have about forty minis in it. The sort of a lot to this project and seeing it all together in one place is spectacular well it's looking good already we're out of time thank you so much for taking a few minutes to join me on the show oh thank you for inviting me you've been listening to funding the dream my guest has been greg carslaw out of uh, birmingham the uk he uh, works for 3d total games and has a kickstarter project coming out soon called wizards academy we've been talking about getting a solicitation for a board game designer and and actually having somebody hire you to do specifically that and the wonders of that uh, for those of you who are board gamers out there i want to thank greg and uh, the enjoyment we've had in our conversation and i want to thank you for listening take care our intro and exit music is orientation by bureaucratic you can listen to more of their music at soundcloud.com slash bureaucratic. Today's show is produced by Come Alive Creative. We want to thank their work, and you can find them at comealivecreative.com. Thanks for listening. Take care. Take care.